All right, Mike, today we talk about dynasties. Mike, do you know what constitutes a dynasty? The 1959 New York Yankees. And what did they do to be get this title dynasty? They had murderers row. They had consecutive championships. They were a dynasty. How many consecutive championships? Oh, now you're going to make me go and say a division, league, or world championships. I don't know. This is where baseball might be different. Basketball, football, if you get three in a row, like you're well on your way to a dynasty. (laughs) What I'm saying is joining us today is, well, pretty much a dynasty. In his own right, he is a seven-time President's Club winner. Now, Consecutive. It's hard enough. Consecutive. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's hard enough to go to one. And then when to do it again, it's very difficult. But to keep doing it seven times in a row where you have to keep beating record after record, this is why Mike and I are floored. Now, you've heard this name mentioned on our podcast many times before. You've heard stories. Um Some of you might think he's actually myth, but in reality, we are joined today. I'm going to edit all of this out, by the way. Like, none of this is going to be in there. Aaron, it's just going to be like, it's going to be like, hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're joined by Aaron Lewis. I mean, that's essentially what it's going to come down to. On this week's episode of the Selling Podcast, we are joined by a seven-in-a-row President's Club winner. Right now, he's a senior account executive, healthcare and life sciences at Salesforce. We welcome our good friend, Aaron Lewis. All right, we're recording. With over 50 years and millions of worldwide traveled miles between the two of us, we have tasted defeat and relished in sweet, sweet victory. Looking for inspirational entertainment, motivation, and practical insights to drive your business? Welcome to The Selling Podcast. Aaron, welcome to The Selling Podcast. Yeah, excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Aaron, it's good to see you. Yeah. Now, all, all of that's going to be edited out, which is going to be great. It's just going to be super <laughs> short and sweet. Aaron, but I, I, we've had this conversation multiple times before, which is to win Presence Club, to get there is an achievement. It's a huge achievement. To do it two times in a row, that's like ridiculous. Three times, unheard of. Seven times in a row, like that's just insane. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, it was one of those events where I really enjoyed my first President's Club trip with my wife. I thought, this is great. How do I repeat this? And I knew I had enough momentum from the prior year's opportunities and pipeline to try to do it again. And then when I heard, hey, we're giving away Rolex watches if you win it three years in a row, I thought, all right, let's go for this. And I then started being very meticulous about my territory, the pipeline, the opportunities, and started setting in motion the work two to three, even four quarters ahead to give me the opportunity to try to close those deals in the amount of time needed to close, to be able to get to that presence come mark. So it became almost, it became the goal every single year to go after it. And so after five times, I said, you know what, let's go for six. And then after six went for seven. So again, it's remarkable when I look back on my career and in that moment in my career and say, hey, I actually accomplished something that I really set out to do. So it was, it was remarkable, to be honest. You make, you make it sound so easy, Aaron. Yeah, I just <laughs> set my goal and then I just did this. But you missed a couple steps in there, I think. There's some hard work that goes into it. There's a, there was a lot of hard work. And I definitely would be remiss if I didn't say it was a team effort. 
um, that, you know, the company did put some amazing resources around me, had some amazing customers that really understood how to buy and what to buy and when to buy. And so, yeah, I mean, again, it was a lot of work, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of grinding, working really, really hard, but being very meticulous about what opportunities and targets to go after. I, I would really spend a lot of time looking at the opportunity and going, okay, if this deal closes in this month, it'll give me the runway business to get to the end result. And I kind of did the math and figured I need about $300,000 of growth every year to get that number done. And so that became almost maniacal in my ability to get to that number. And every time I crossed that $300,000 growth threshold, it got me to the trip. And so that became what I was going after every year. Aaron, your planning and my planning are a little bit different. You, my planning was typically done in the car. I got 10 minutes going to my next appointment. <laughs> Let me go ahead and plan out my year right here in this 10 minutes. It doesn't sound like that's how you did your planning. How did you do your planning? I would often sit down on a Monday morning, walk out a couple of hours and really look at my week and started really analyzing what is an actual sales motion? What's a service motion? What's a paperwork motion? And started really prioritizing what are those motions that are going to actually help me drive the sales that I needed. And I started realizing, hey, this target that I'm going after, it's only going to yield X amount. And so I'm going to put that one off. But these four, if I add them all up, will get me to the run rate that I need. And so it became very, um, very methodical as I started working through those. So again, yeah, I would just make sure I spent quality time planning out my week, my month, my year, my quarter, so that I had enough pipeline and runway to get the deal done. Ah, uh, the strategy behind it. Strategery. Yeah. Aaron, you do that, but it almost sounds like you're not having your base hits. It sounds like you're just going for home runs. And I didn't think that was the case. I guess the way I would look at it is I would go after these whale accounts that I know all I needed was one or two or three. I didn't need eight or nine. And so many times if I could then focus in on maybe five or four of those and I needed two to hit, then I would just backfill it with everything else going after the singles and the doubles along the way. And so it became kind of doing multitasking, right? You were working on the big deal throughout the year and throughout you know, the quarter, but at the same time, you were picking up little things along the way. I would look at different opportunities or different customers and say, hey, I could just add one more product. That was another strategy that I took as well as I called it adding one, adding one. So I would look at a customer that might only buy one or two products from me and say, if I could just get them to add one more product, it could yield this. And Selling to current customers is the easiest thing you can do in sales. So adding those one or two along the way and then getting a couple of big whales to hit, it's kind of how it all got done. This is something that I think Aaron brought with him to the table because I had the privilege of actually working with Aaron when, right when you were first hired, wasn't it? Yeah, you were my first regional sales manager and the national <laughs> sales trainer for the company. <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's a good insight into Aaron. I want you to kind of explain your thought process behind it. I remember the day you called me and I'd been beating you up on getting information and learning about the accounts. And you asked me in a phone conversation, when do I get to sell something? <laughs> it actually floored me because I thought you would automatically just want to sell something. But you were really good at just gathering the background information and understanding the customer's business. Where did you pick that up from? Where, did you bring it to the table or? 
I think it was a combination of a couple of things. Um, I remember my first like day in the field. You know, I had spent Mike a lot of time with you. I think for two days in a hotel lobby, working through all of the nuances of the new position and the job. And then my first day out, I took a bunch of like catalogs in my business cards, and I thought all I have to do is drop these off at the physician offices. And then just wait for the phone calls to come in. I thought that's how sales work. That is. Re- that's, a, that's, that's, that's how Scott thinks it works. That, that, that's, that's exactly it. And that's, that's, our, that's our slogan on the podcast. Yes. Stop off the catalogs and wait for the calls, right? Correct. So I then realized, well, that's not working. And so I became almost on the opposite side where I figured, you know what? In order for me to be successful here, I've got to understand everything about these customers almost to a fault where I almost knew too much. Like my wife would say, you're almost becoming a stalker of your account. (laughs) I would get to know like what type of cars the physicians drove. I knew the office manager. I knew the physician's wives' names. Like it got pretty ridiculous how much I knew about these accounts. But what it did is it created momentum and opportunity because I knew what those triggers were so that when I had 20 features and benefits to sell to the client or the customer, I only needed two to get them closed because I knew what was important to them and I knew what would make a difference in their practice and their business. And so I really just, again, it was very methodical going through almost six months of actually not really selling, which was probably not what you wanted to hear. But at the same time, the back half of those six months became all of the fruit of all of that work going into it. And then it became this cadence of, learning, selling, learning, selling along the way. And it just got, the deals just got bigger and bigger and bigger. When is getting too much information just too much? Like when is it, when do you cross that line? The day he called and said, hey, can I sell something now? (laughs) Six months later. Months later. Hey, can I, can I start selling something? No, I mean, Scott, I think the line comes when the information you're gathering isn't relevant to the sales cycle. And I think that's probably where I got to that point. Like, it doesn't matter that the physician drove a Porsche. Like, but it was helpful for me because I could pull up to the office and say, hey, Doc's in today. This is great. Or sometimes I wanted to go in when Doc wasn't in because I wanted to ask his office manager or his billing manager something. And I knew when Doc's in surgery, I could go get a lot more time with that office because when Doc's in clinic, that is just an absolute zoo. So again, I think the when you have too much information. I don't think you never have too much information, but I get to the point where you almost have too much or, you, or information that you don't really need that's relevant to your sale. I guess. It, yeah. It becomes superfluous. Yeah. It's not, yeah, not relevant. So Aaron, I want to fast forward a little bit because when, when you transitioned away from your very first territory and you moved to Ohio. Okay. You, you probably want to explain that because Mike, what you're talking about is a massive shift. Oh, it's I mean, huge. It, if he Aaron left a territory that was producing, doing well, and went some other territory, and I still don't even know why. Like, well, Aaron, and we, we, and we, I tried to talk him out of it because I thought it's cold in Ohio. You don't want to go there, <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to keep him on my team. But Aaron, you you moved to Ohio and you took a territory, and it didn't start off in a really great fashion. Can you kind of walk us through how you took what you learned in California and then took it to Ohio and what that was like? Yeah, I spent about two and a half years in central California. And then an opportunity opened up in northeast Ohio. And 
I think it was actually a huge trick because they flew me out there in October when the leaves are changing. It's beautiful. House prices are super cheap. And I'm like, Bait and switch. this is heaven. We should just move. And so we moved there. <laughs> and then the first snow hit. And I said, oh, now I understand. I get it. <laughs> yeah. After like my kids are in spring break sledding because I'm like, wait, when is this snow going to stop? And it doesn't stop until like May. So yeah, when I arrived in Ohio, I think the territory was doing like $50,000 a month in, annual, in, in monthly sales. And I started jumping in, understanding the accounts, doing all the things to un, you know, learn everything I can about the territory. I didn't want to take six months, but I wanted to at least get, um, get going. Within, I got there, I still think about this. I got there in September, and by December, the territory was doing 20, it went to drop to $26,000 for that month in December. It was cold. I sat with my wife and said, I don't know what we're doing here. You know, the territory just took a huge dive. And I was on a track actually where I had, I don't know if you guys know this, but I had essentially 18 months to get to a mm-hmm. commission status. They did not want to keep me as a salaried rep. They wanted to get everybody to commission. And I knew that that threshold was $83,000 in, in monthly sales. So I'm staring this down going, I've got about 14 months to go from 26000 in monthly sales to about 80,000 in monthly sales. And it was a it was a tough moment to really stare that down and figure out how to do that. But it was also a little bit more complicated because the guy you replaced in Ohio went to the competition and he had a couple months worth of priming the customers to go to the competition. So you're not only battling a new territory, you're fighting with an incumbent rep that was fired. That's right. Yeah, so I did take over a territory where now who had the prior territory, yeah, went to a competitor. And that's where it became really challenging is customers would walk in and say, yeah, we've already switched to this guy. We've already switched to this guy. And that's why the sales took the huge dive. And he was still doing his thing out there. And it wasn't like he went away. So all of a sudden I had to now also battle that as well. The other side of it is on the other side of the competition, I had a guy that had been in the territory for, in essence, the market leader for over 30 years. And they said, oh, goodness, you're, oh, Aaron, you're, you're going to go in his territory. Man, I don't know what you did. You just moved your whole family from California to Ohio. You're, the guy just left your company is now competing against you. And the guy you're competing against has been in the territory for 30 years and knows all the doctors and grew up with all of them. So good luck. And it's December and it's cold. <laughs> now, at, at, at this point, Aaron, you're not the, I mean, you were amazing, but you're not, you weren't superhero. At this point, had you been to a presence club before you no. made the switch? No, okay. I hadn't. So, so you've you've had success, but you it hasn't hit the 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 incredible success that you had had. Because I remember down in South Florida, you had been in in Ohio for a little while, and I overheard something my manager say, saying, "I don't know if Aaron's going to make it." And so at, at some, the, the rumor that I caught was Aaron's not doing well. This is a failed experiment. I hope he still has a job in a little while. And so that's what I heard down in South Florida. And I was like, oh, Aaron's good. Like, I hope he can pull this out. Yeah, I didn't hear that story. That's a new one. Um, I could definitely see why. I know the leadership was expecting a lot from me going into that environment. And 
maybe it was just a matter of being patient of just working through that. I mean, I had to let all of the dust really settle before I could build it. What I found when I came into that territory was even the customer base that was there when I walked into the territory was not very solid. The foundation was not good. Customers really didn't understand the product they were buying. The rep really hadn't been in there as much as he probably should have. And so essentially I was starting from scratch. And I'm not surprised that that was some of the language going on around the company that, hey, we, we moved this guy and now look at him. Four and five months in, now look at him. He's $26,000 in monthly sales. I mean, he's not going to make it. And I, Yeah, because you, you have a 50% drop off. Yeah. And you're supposed to be this up and coming new superstar rep and they drop you and go, oh, well, that. And they're so reactionary because it's what have you done for me lately in sales? Of course. So, Aaron, yeah. you're you're there. You're there with your wife. What are you talking about? How mentally do you bounce back from that? How did you do it? The good news in this situation was that my pipeline was becoming more real and I had, as I mentioned earlier, some whales that were in the works. And I kind of told my wife, I said, look, we've got two big opportunities that if they close, changes everything. So I'd like to ride this out a couple more months to see where this goes. We always knew we could go back to California and do something else or maybe stay with the company. I don't know if they would even take me back at that point, not sure. But that was really the conversation. I just simply said, look, I think there's a path. I think there's a chance that we could get this done. So let's hang in there and let's see what happens. And so we, we did. And uh, it worked out. I'd say it more than worked out. <laughs> it worked out. I mean, he just casually throws that in there. It, it, it worked it, out. It, it just worked out. I mean, not that I become, became the best salesperson that company had ever seen, ever. It's, it's like, no, it just, yeah, it just, just worked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So let's talk about some transferable skills, Aaron. What did you learn in your first job? And well, that really wasn't your first job in sales because you sold print ads, wasn't it? Yeah. I worked for a really small printing company when I was in college and basically would go door to door and try to get small business owners to buy like their you know, flyers and brochures and business cards and things like that. So yeah, that was kind of my first real taste of sales. What did you learn in that very first days of selling the print ad that you transferred into a new new environment in medical sales and now transferred what you learned in medical sales into software sales and mm -hmm. continuing to kill it? Yeah. I think it really comes down to simply understanding the needs of the customer. I think that's probably the, the, the foundation of all of that. It is just fundamentally... How well do I know my customer? How well can I meet their needs? And what are the results they are going to get by using or buying my product or my service? And so going from print sales, you're learning about a small business owner that looking to save money for the most part or looking to get their product quick and easy because they have an event they have mm -hmm. coming up and they want to you know, get some printing done for this upcoming trade show or something. Transferring over to like the medical device sales world, it became, you know, understanding physician practices, hospitals, surgery centers. What are those unmet needs? What are those challenges that they're trying to overcome? How can my product or solution make that easier or better for them? And then same thing going into software sales, which I do now, is again, understanding what are those needs? 
that is more of a, what are the business challenges? That's really what I'm kind of focusing in on now is business challenges, business processes. I do a lot more research and the research becomes even more detailed. They spend a lot more time studying things like annual reports, the 10K, you know, watching the news. A lot of the customers that I work with are publicly traded. And so it's just kind of understanding what their business is and, and how they're doing it and how we can support them. It sounds so simple, Aaron. You yeah. make you make this sound really I'm, easy. I'm just in awe as as he's talking. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah. Why would why would everybody not be successful at this? <laughs> like it just it makes it makes complete sense. And that I mean, for me, it was funny working you know in a different territory, but at the same time as Aaron, seeing his success, and I would call him every now and then. It's like, Aaron, what are you doing? He'd just be like, well, I'm just mapping it out and going for it. It's like, oh, well, duh. Like, why am I not doing that? Well, yeah. And so, but there is what you can't, and hopefully it comes across. Aaron is very detail-oriented, very methodical. And so as Aaron goes through his planning process, it's not me driving 10 minutes in my car to plan something out. Aaron, like, sits down and maps everything out. Here's what's going to happen. Here's plan A, plan B, and plan C. Like his mind is spectacular when it comes to mapping everything out. You know, but it's, it, it's interesting though. I mean, I think it's just part of the process. I guess maybe that's why I love sales so much is, is just the challenge of it, right? It's just really thinking through how, you know, how to really make, you know, it's almost like that Covey principle, right? Starting with the end in mind. And you start backing into that and go, okay, in order for me to get this result, I've got to start. Where am I at at the moment and where do I want to get to? And what is everything in between that has to get done? And you start really thinking through all of those steps and having you know, plans that if things don't go the right way, you kind of transition and you keep moving on. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But I don't know. I think the devil's in the details sometimes when you get through it. And a lot of times I find myself even getting too buried into the details of it that good regional sales managers will go, hold on, let's take a big step back real quick and make sure that we're still on the right path here. But no, I've had a lot of help along the way for sure. One of the things that I've always admired is your ability to step back. And when you find things are not going your way or uh, you're chasing the wrong ball, you have the ability to kind of step back and evaluate. What's, how does that transfer over to what you're doing now? Because what you're doing now is a much bigger sale, enterprise systems, how do you step back when there's so many different, different people involved in the process? I guess it really comes back to kind of how is the final decision going to be made and who is going to make that decision? I think one of the biggest differences, at least now, is it's like decision by committee many times mm -hmm. versus decision by one individual. And so it becomes interesting because each individual on that deciding committee has different interests and different motivations on why they would make a yes decision. And so it becomes even more detailed as far as understanding what's going to make them say yes. And so it's kind of working backwards through that. So you're almost running multiple cycles through all of these individuals and through the committee to understand how they might make that decision to say yes. I'm thinking, do you have a process? Do you like use the RACI model? Have you ever heard of the RACI model? I've never heard of the RACI model. No. It's, it's Mike, a, this is a family show. <laughs> R-A-C-I. The responsible person, the person that's accountable, the people who are consulted, and the people who are informed. So R A C 
I racy. It's you're using something similar to that in your approach because somebody's got to make the ultimate decision. But there are a lot of people from who are accountable for making it work. There are some who are consulted to get their input, and the rest are just informed. This is the decision we made. Yeah. Okay. So is that kind of the process you use? It's it's similar. I mean, I guess the way that I think about it now is almost like there's a power line that sits. And so those that sit above power are the ones that are going to make that final decision. But below that power line, there's a lot of influencers that will help the power line or the above the power line make a decision, yes or no. And so, yeah, you spend a lot of time kind of doing all of that investigative and working and, and discovery work along with all of those influencers so that when you get to that power line and that decision, they will say, yeah, that sounds great. My, my committee, my team, this evaluation has been really successful. And I'm hearing from my team that this is going to help us with this, this, and this. Yes, let's go ahead and move forward with that. So yes, I found that if I spend all my time in the power line or above the power line, they're going to look at that and go, eh, I don't know. I'm not, I, I need my team to really buy in all, all of this. So yeah, it becomes a very intricate process kind of working through all of that. So no different than I think in the medical device space as well. You know, you're kind of working with physicians as above the power line, but then you've got nurses and medical assistants and everybody between, and then even going back to the small business owner, maybe there's not a lot of power lines in that world because it might just be one single individual person. But at the same time, I think it is just kind of working through all of that process. Yeah, and I can see, you can see the evolution of sales from the very simple, the medium complexity to the very complex. Yeah. Aaron, you've done a lot of training for mentoring. Your process has been shared to a lot of different people. What are some of the hiccups? Why do people not sell like you? What are, why aren't you seeing your protégés, me being one trying to follow what you're doing? Where do you find most people falling short? I think sales is, a, is I think one of the skills that is the most challenging, and I still struggle with this, is patience. The patience of the sale and the ability to not rush what the customer truly is trying to accomplish because as a sales rep, we have a quota, we want to meet it. But at the same time, the customer may not be ready to buy at that time. And so it creates, you have to be incredibly patient, I think as a sales representative to know that if that customer is not quite ready, we've got to be able to meet the customer where they're at and go down the other path. I think some reps get in there and they get you know to a point where like, oh my gosh, I got to close this deal. And they push, push, push. And the customer goes, mm, no, I'm not ready yet. And then they go, ah, whatever. And they move on. I think I have the ability to look at the opportunity and go, you know what? The customer's not there yet. We're going to stay right here. I'd rather be sitting right on the doorstep waiting for that customer to open it than try to knock the door down and tell them to get out of here and I don't get my sale. And so again, I think that's probably a skill that I try to do really, really well, but I'm still not very patient, but it's something I recognize. So how do I get the customer to buy at the end of every quarter? <laughs> I think it really comes down to the pipeline. Truly, if you have a pipeline that is so robust that you have multiple deals on the table that are ready to go and you really only need two or three, but you've got seven or eight, you're not as stressed, right? You don't, you're not banking on one deal to get it done you can close one, two or three and still get your deal done at the quarter and feed the rest for the following quarter. So I think it really comes down to a really robust pipeline. I was going to say, I can answer that, Scott. 
the people that you want to co- close at the end of this quarter should be ready to go four quarters ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really what I started really understanding when I was in the med device space was my sales cycles typically would last anywhere from two, three, sometimes four quarters. So I would be planning. So as you talked about this hitting President's Club every year, by the time I got that award at President's Club, I was already thinking about Q3 for the following year. So I was already on my way to doing it again as I was getting my award for the previous year. So I knew that I had enough run rate business that I could literally just close what I had so that I stayed on that stage again and I've already got enough momentum into the following year. That's really another way to think about it. What I found interesting is one time talking to Aaron, it, it, it was, is how much time do you have in a day? Like I, I only have 24 hours. And then I think we ended up getting on some idea of sleeping schedule. And Aaron just casually said, well, well yeah, I think I, I can't remember if it was a four or 4.30 or maybe it was earlier than that that Aaron just decides to get up and just do a little exercise and then go to work. I was like, oh, huh. I'm still That's sleeping. That's 4.30 a.m., right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I was like, no, no, nobody gets more hours in a day. He sleeps very little. Well, I have changed that. I actually have been working on that, Scott. It's interesting. Although I did get up at 4.30 this morning. Um, <laughs> I have that. changed it. I don't do 4 o'clock anymore. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> I did 4.30. <laughs> no, but I mean, there is something that I have been really focusing on. It's funny you say that is... I think in the med device, when I was in that world, like it was, I was required to now spend after my day had finished, my kiddos went to bed. I would then spend two or three hours planning for the following day. And I wouldn't get to sleep until like 1130. And then I would get up at 5am and start my day all over again. But over the years, that is to be fair, it's actually caught up with me. And so now I really do try to get to sleep by like 10 o'clock every night. And get enough sleep because I, but I found there is burnout that can occur in sales. It absolutely can. And so your mental health, exercise, sleep, drinking enough water, eating better really does matter in the world of sales. I really do believe that. Especially when it's such a mental game. I mean, hearing your story, hearing that transition from when to uh, California to Ohio and just the mental toll that that takes, taking care of yourself physically to be able to exert that mental energy to go back and do it again and again and again. It's just, it's, it's fascinating what you've done. It's fascinating what you're doing. And uh, this is why on this podcast, we keep referring back to you, um, Aaron Lewis, the hero status. If you unzip that sweatshirt a little bit further, there's a great big S on your, his chest. That's funny. <laughs> actually just a t-shirt that I'm wearing, but uh, all good. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. I, like I said, I mean, sales is one of those things that I, I think you have to really fall in love with the process and really to be successful at this. You can't just go in halfway. And yeah, you're going to get beat up and beat up and beat up along the way. But at the same time, it does start to work itself out if you're just patient enough with the process for sure. Aaron, do you think of yourself as ultra charismatic? I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't. Um, I think one of, like somebody asked me at the time, what's your superpower? And I, and you guys can tell me if this is true or not, because you guys have known me for a long time. But like, I think number one is likability. I think I have the ability to be liked by people. And so I, and the second thing is, I really, I'm almost like a chameleon is another way I think about it. 
I really have found the ability to meet the person where they are. If I'm talking to a super charismatic person, I'm like, hey, how are you? Oh, super good to see you. Let's be the charismatic person you want me to be. But then again, I might turn around and talk to a really quiet, submissive individual, and I can bring my energy level down to where they're at and have that slow conversation because that's how they understand what I'm saying, how I'm saying it. I can ask and be very thoughtful with all of that. And so again, I think the ability to match their meeting your customer and meeting the person you're talking where they're at is something. So I would not simply say I'm charismatic. I can be charismatic if you need me to be, but I don't really consider myself charismatic. Your attention to detail, your strategy, your thought process, I feel that that's what makes you far superior than most salespeople, your ability to sit down and think things through. And a lot of times it seems like that's you, you plan that into your day. It's not just something that you know, maybe it does naturally occur to you. Um, you actually make time to plan. And I think that's something all sales reps can do is, is force themselves to plan, take time, sit down, map things out, and map it out on a consistent basis. It's not just once at the beginning of the year. It's continual sitting down, mapping out, okay, what am I working on? What am I doing? That way, that one account that really is not going to deliver a lot that's taking up 80% of your time today it's we need to put things in perspective and try to figure out how to help them faster and then move on to the next person. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I do even block some planning time into my weekly calendar as I really sit down and, and think about things. I find myself with a pen and paper quite a bit and really just start drawing and mapping and figuring out how, where things are going to happen and how they're going to happen and when they're going to happen. So yeah, I, I truly believe planning and strategy is all part of the process. If you're just going a million miles an hour and hoping for the best, you're never going to get there. The hamster in the wheel. Aaron continues to post some amazing things on LinkedIn, um, conversation starters, and also some strategy there. Check him out. Follow him on LinkedIn. He's a great, uh, he's a great follow, great read. Aaron, thanks so much for joining this week's episode of The Selling Podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you guys again. Yeah, this is great. We need to do it more often. Let's do it. I'm happy to come on. Well, Scott's going to be over at your house for Thanksgiving, so that we'll just do it live. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> live from Aaron's house. Live from Aaron's house. <laughs> Aaron, it's fun. been a pleasure, Thank man. You, sir. Yeah, anytime.